I love a good podcast, as you know, and I'm always happy to share resources for parents who are looking for creative, smart content that both entertains and offers enrichment for curious kids everywhere. So I'm happy to let you know about this awesome new show from the creators of the hit kids podcast, Who Smarted, and Netflix's Brainchild, The Adventurous World of Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as Math. Every episode follows Max and Molly, who have just been recruited into a secret order of problem solvers on an adventure through time, packed with puzzles, hidden equations, history, and laughs. The series explores themes that kids like ours love, like the stories behind math, critical thinking, code breaking, pattern solving, and more. And episodes transport kids into iconic periods in history like Pythagoras's Ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England. So cool. New episodes drop every Thursday and are about 15 minutes long, a perfect length for those car rides, for meal times, for break times, and bedtimes. What I love about this show is that it's kind of like listening to a book on tape. The story is captivating and includes lots of problems listeners can try to solve. The voice actors are fantastic, and the math concepts are seamlessly weaved into the narrative. It's exactly the kind of show Ash would have loved a few years ago, especially during our homeschool years, because finding that perfect blend of entertaining and educating, it isn't always easy. So tune into Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. I don't believe in kid food. Kids are human beings. Yes, we need to feed them appropriately weaning and that kind of stuff. But before all these processed foods and packaging and special shapes were invented, they were just eating a mashed up or smaller pieces of what the family ate. So this whole idea that there is kid food or a special diet that the appeals to them is really made up and pushed forth as a commercial agenda. And it has nothing to do with child nutrition or what children really can eat. Welcome to Tilt Parenting, a podcast featuring interviews and conversations aimed at inspiring, informing, and supporting parents raising differently wired kids. I'm your host, Debbie Reber, and today I'm talking with Jennifer Scribner, a nutritional therapy practitioner and author of the new book, From Mac and Cheese to Veggies, Please, How to Get Your Kids to Eat New Foods, End Picky Eating Forever, and Stay Sane in the Process, which is based on her work with hundreds of clients and details how any parent can dramatically change the diet of their pickiest kids. I know that many of us raising differently wired kids have challenges surrounding food, whether it's sensitivities to textures, intolerances, or simply our desire to get them to expand their food choices to include more greens and healthier options. In this conversation, Jennifer and I talked about how to achieve these goals all while eliminating battles around the dinner table. I hope you enjoy this episode. Hey, Jennifer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, I'm looking forward to talking about this. We have not done too many episodes on nutrition. And when I heard about your book about picky eaters, I think even just that phrase, picky eaters is something that me and many of our listeners are like, oh my gosh, I need to know more about this because it, especially with differently wired kids, the issue of picky eaters is, um, it's something a lot of us are dealing with. So I think you're going to have a lot of insight to share for us today. Yeah, it's a really common struggle. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So before we get into talking about your book, can you just first introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are. And I always like to ask people's personal why. So why you do the work that you do? 
Sure. Yeah. So I am by education, a nutritional therapy practitioner, and I got into this field for my own reasons of wanting to have clear skin. But what brought me into kind of the current why was working with nutrition, and I'm also a GAPS diet practitioner, gut and psychology syndrome, I primarily ended up working with kids on the autism spectrum with sensory processing disorder, or with serious gut issues, eczema, life threatening allergies. And one of the places I was finding a lot of success was helping people with picky eating one on one. But then in the wider world, I saw so many families not making any food changes because they were so afraid that their kids wouldn't eat and they couldn't overcome any of this picky eating. So they're just kind of sitting on the fence there feeling like they want to make changes, but not doing it. And that is what prompted me to write the book. And that's a message I just don't think is being talked about enough that how doable this is. So I feel really passionate about whatever food changes you want to make. We all want our kids to be healthier and to have more nutrients in their diet here's the steps you can take to do that, whatever plan you're choosing. That's fantastic. You know, just hearing you talk about that. I talked about this when I had a nutritionist on probably a year and a half ago on the podcast to talk about specifically the relationship between diet and ADHD. And one of the things that I said to her was, I always felt as if, you know, I have so many other things that I'm focusing on. I don't have the energy to focus on this. Like I'm already dealing with this, this and school problem, you know, just all these other issues. I'm like, if I dive into dietary changes, I may lose my mind. So I think that sitting on the fence and it just feeling just too daunting and overwhelming is it's you probably hear that all the time. And uh, I think it's really great that you're breaking it down for people. And that's the thing that people, that's how it feels from the beginning. But once you make these changes and the food time isn't a battle, or you can make one meal that your whole family eats instead of pulling out, you know, special things or special preparation for your picky kid, you actually have more time on your hands and you have more energy. And if these changes help your kid sleep better, focus better, um, lessen, you know, tantrums, that kind of thing, that adds a lot back into your life as far as time and energy. So for me, diet is foundational. Of course, I'm biased. I'm a nutritional therapist. But (laughs) that's how I've seen the changes play out within my clients and the people I've worked with. Yeah, well, those all sound like very good outcomes, things we would all want. So, you know, before we get into some of the practical tips in your book, how would you even define, you know, what would be considered typical picky eating versus picky eating that is problematic? Yeah, so there is a phase where picky eating is common and typical. And that's usually around two to three years old, you know, can be considered part of the terrible twos that we talk about. And that is where kids may like one thing one day, hate it the next day, really hyper focus on one food, refuse to try other things. And it is a phase if we're allowing our kids to eat whole foods, and we keep offering the variety of real things, Where that tends to get off track is when our kids eat refined foods or more sugary things, and that becomes their preference, and they become addicted to this sugar cycle. And that's where it tends to, you know, go on longer, and it's considered chronic if it lasts more than a couple of years. So when this is going on at four years, at 10 years, at 12 years, 
that's about 40% of kids that, that go through that picky eating phase, but then turn into chronic picky eaters. And I myself, even with a neurotypical brain, was a fairly picky eater until I was in my 30s. Wow. <laughs> it took me a long time because I grew up on processed food. So my go-tos were the macaroni and cheese and the top ramen and the popcorn and the chips. And they're things I still enjoy sometimes. But now I also eat a wide variety of vegetables and, you know, other whole foods, and those things are sprinkled in. So when it drags on a long time, and when it is really hyper focused, which is so common with autism, you know, the five foods, that's where it's really problematic. So 40% of kids end up being chronic picky eaters. That's astounding to me. In one longitudinal study that was done in the Journal of Eating Behavior, that's what they found with, they looked at kids from like two two to 12 years old. Um, yeah, that was something that really shocked me. And But when you think about it, we kind of play it off as adults. I mean, I know a lot of 30-year-olds that just still want to drive through McDonald's every day, and we think it's a convenience, but some of it is that we haven't expanded our palate, and we are really married to certain foods rather than having a wide variety. Well, I also think for a lot of us, we do what I call accidental parenting, you know, and by the time you've been doing something and then all of a sudden it's now your new reality and we're like, wait a minute, I did not mean for that habit to form. How did that happen? And that probably yes. is very common. You see that a lot with parents, I imagine. Yeah. And that was something that I learned when I was younger. I was a school bus driver. And so having 60 kids that I was responsible for in one place driving on the road, like that really taught me a lot about the behaviors that you could put up with and, you know, turn a blind eye to when you have one or two kids versus having a classroom full or a school bus full mm. <laughs> was different. Like you see the the compounded results <laughs> much more clearly. So I felt like that was a really good experience for me to see why some of this structure is so important. So I'm curious, so you are in Portland, Oregon. And as I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking about Pamela Druckerman's book, Bringing Up Baby, and how mm -hmm. the French are raising kids. And you know, there's a big focus in that book that the French kids eat anything because they're offered cassoulet, or they're offered, you know, what the adults are eating. I'm just curious, your perspective on this, you know, we have listeners from all over the world, would you say this is more of an American issue? Is it a global issue? What what do you say about that? I would say it tends to be more of a Western country issue. I definitely have, you know, clients like this in the UK and, you know, other areas in Europe. And it's something that's growing more in developing countries and in Asian countries, because they're, they're a little later to the game on having a lot of processed food, you know, so they have a, a better opportunity to keep their food traditions and to keep food more natural. And one thing that's really important that's changed is that we have marketing around food in the United States that tells us what kid food is, that there is a special food that kids like to eat. And I don't believe in kid food. Kids are human beings. Yes, we need to feed them appropriately weaning and that kind of stuff. But before all these processed foods and packaging and special shapes were invented, they were just eating a mashed up or smaller pieces of what the family ate. So this whole idea that there is kid food or a special diet that the appeals to them is really made up and pushed forth as a commercial agenda. And it has nothing to do with child nutrition or what children really can eat. 
Yeah, so interesting. It's not a big thing over here. You know, I've lived in Amsterdam for five years now, and it's there aren't as many options in general in the supermarket of things to eat. And there really isn't a lot of marketing to kids. It's really, I hadn't thought about that until you mentioned that. And I remembered all the shapes of different foods and chicken nuggets and all the things that were Mm -hmm. available when Asher was younger. It's interesting. Yeah. And the placement that we have in the stores for those things to be so easy to, you know, grab for kids here in the US. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So there's, there's, there's a lot of psychology that goes behind selling you the idea of kid foods and their processed foods. Interesting. So can you say a little bit more about, you know, this physiology behind pickiness? So you mentioned this introduction to these more refined foods. Like, is, is that really what is happening that we're, are we doling our kids' senses? Or, you know, what's what's going on behind the scenes that's creating this culture of pickiness? Yeah, there can be a number of different factors that come into play. And especially within the autism spectrum, there's a combination. It's rarely just one thing. So the first thing can be distorted sensory processing. So if we have those sensory issues, and we have a brain that's not processing appropriately, how things taste, their stuff doesn't taste the same to us as it does to our kids. So there can be those type of reasons where we're like, this is a good thing. Why don't you like this? And they're not sensing it the same way that we are, whether that be the flavor, the texture, the consistency, temperature, those things. Um, and then a big part is the cravings for the sweet and starchy foods. And that can come from abnormal gut flora, overgrowth of things like candida in the gut that that crave the sugars, whether we like it or not, you know, there, even within myself, there was a period of time where I would be eating, you know, sugary things. I'm like, I'm not enjoying this. This isn't pleasurable. Why am I doing this? And it was almost like outside of myself, like uncontrollable kind of compulsion for sweets that I was in this addiction to them. And that happens to our kids too. Um, another reason can be sometimes the state of the mouth. So if we have issues with our saliva glands, if they have tongue tie, lip tie, those physical kind of structural issues that can come into play, then that can make it harder to chew. Um, And often we'll see this first crop up with kids that have a hard time latching and nursing. And then sometimes there are issues with secretions. And this isn't something people think a lot, but every time we secrete something, that can be a way to detox something or to flush something out of the body. And if we have a saliva that's coming into contact with things like vegetables, which have detoxifying antioxidants, that's why we praise them so much, that that can actually feel uncomfortable in the mouth that can cause, you know, itching or stinging or burning. And our kids don't communicate these things the way that we do. They communicate through behavior. And that's why it can be so difficult to realize if these, you know, smaller issues are really what's driving some of this, because, you know, they can say, oh, I refuse this food, or they'll, you know, throw a tantrum about something versus saying, oh, this stings in my mouth. (laughs) They don't have that, that option. We'll be right back after this quick break. So in our house these days, Darren and I have been working together to up level our nutrition and healthy lifestyle habits. Maybe it's our age, our changing bodies, my shifting hormones, Whatever the reason, I'm here for it. And that's why I'm loving Green Chef, a meal company that makes eating well easy with plans to fit every lifestyle. Green Chef offers gut-friendly recipes each week and is committed to providing a holistic approach to nutrition by offering meals that contribute to the overall well-being of your entire body. 
Darren and I are particularly big fans of their nutrient-dense, science-backed gut and brain health recipes, developed in partnership with registered dietitians that improve digestion, reduce bloat, and also boost energy and immunity. This week's favorites, turkey, black bean, and sweet potato chili, and the Baja chicken bowls with mango salsa. I mean, don't those sound delicious? But if that's not your thing, you can choose from a variety of customized meals to suit your lifestyles with preferences like keto, vegan, vegetarian, fast and fit, Mediterranean, gluten-free, and protein-packed. Whatever you choose, you'll get farm-fresh ingredients, organic whole fruits and veggies, and premium proteins, along with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes delivered straight to your door. Go to greenchef.com slash 60tilt and use code 60tilt to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's 60% off plus 20% off your next two months when you use the code 60TILT at greenchef.com slash 60TILT. Green Chef, the number one meal kit for eating well. This year, I've been working on becoming more attuned to my body, and so I'm starting to really recognize how periodic spikes in anxiety or disruptions to my routines can seriously throw my whole system off. And as I've been traveling a ton this past month, which is both disruptive and somewhat stressful, I'm especially glad that I have the extra support of Symbiotic Plus, a three-in-one supplement from Ritual with clinically studied prebiotics, probiotics, and a postbiotic to support a balanced gut microbiome. Symbiotic Plus provides fuel to the cells that make up the gut lining to support a healthy gut barrier. And it comes in this very cool minty delayed release capsule, which was specifically designed to help survive the harsh conditions of the upper GI tract for delivery to the colon. The bonus is that the capsules don't need to be refrigerated, so I can easily bring them with me in my carry-on. On a personal level, I love that Ritual is committed to sustainability. They're a female-founded B Corp, meaning they are holding themselves accountable long-term to not only think about their company's financial health, but also the health of people and our planet. There's no more shame in your gut game. Symbiotic Plus and Ritual are here to celebrate, not hide your insides. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com tilt. Start Ritual or add Symbiotic Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com tilt for 25% off. So that's so interesting. So this isn't just a matter of a child being inflexible or, you know, and I and I mm-hmm. being familiar with sensory processing issues and and knowing that texture and sensations can be really intense and different for kids with um, sensory integration issues. So that makes sense to me. But I hadn't thought about uh, everything you said is just fascinating to me that it it can be this very strong physical response that you're having. And so it's not just a decision. They're not just deciding I'm going to not try anything else. Right. And that's how so much of picky eating is seen that this is a kid's being bad, being, uh, you know, defiant. And it's really so much beyond that physiologically. So that's something else that I want to dispel that that isn't just a power struggle that you're having with your kids that and that the behaviors are telling you something that may not be the way you would perceive it with a neurotypical kid. But even with neurotypical kids, these things can be going on as well. Well, yeah, I mean, we always talk about the fact that all behavior is communication, and that there is always a reason, you know, there's always Mm -hmm. a reason why our child is upset or reacting in a certain way. And this is just another example of that. So that makes perfect sense. Yes. So I'm just curious with that sensory defensiveness to food textures or, you know, having those really strong reaction to certain feelings and temperatures and tastes and smells. Is that something that kids 
can overcome? And what does that actually look like? Yeah, in my experience, it's a combination of getting them nourished and detoxified, and then also working through sensory therapies or food therapies with kids to help them break through some of that. But part of this can happen in the brain. If we have toxicity within the brain that is preventing the signals from being processed properly, that a lot of people, when they think about the toxicity, they think there's something that needs to be detoxed or pulled. But our detoxification system is run through nutrients. So for me, adding in the nutrients is really the most crucial thing so that our bodies can start managing any toxicity on their own and working through any type of backlog that we have inherited or accumulated from our environment. And and some kids are more sensitive and susceptible to absorbing these things than others based on, you know, like the MTHFR variations that you know, we hear about in this, in the community. So there's a certain amount of kind of nourishment that needs to happen to me, that's really foundational, but then you can also work through some of the sensory steps, you know, putting it on the plate, not eating it, touching it to the lips, tasting it, spitting it out. And as is appropriate for, you know, your kid and what their sensory issues are. And I'm definitely not opposed to adding things into the texture that they like at first. So if your kid only wants things as a smoothie, you know, cool, we can throw probiotics in there, we can throw (laughs) veggies in there, we Mm -hmm. can sneak a lot of things in. Same things for kids who really go for, you know, ground meat, yeah, we can stuff all kinds of things in there, (laughs) that gets it into the body, (laughs) that gets this process kind of kickstarted. Yeah, I always felt sorry for myself, because (laughs) Asher would not eat a smoothie, like drink a smoothie, they were just not happening. And I was like, Oh, Mm -hmm. but there's so much I could do with this smoothie, you know, but that is good advice that there are ways to to get things in there. Yeah. And at the same time, you know, introducing the, the foods to kids in other ways so that they are having those exposures, because even within normal picky eating, it takes eight to 12 exposures to decide if we like something. So if we have these sensory issues going on on top of that, it can take many more tries, many more experiences with a food before we're comfortable with it, before we can maybe try it or take that chance with it. So I'm curious to know what this actually looks like then. So say someone is listening to this episode who is like, okay, I've been wanting to do this. I feel like I want to make some changes. And maybe they have a suggestion from a pediatrician or something that they know they want to try. How can they set themselves up for success? You know, how do they even begin? Do they sit the child down and talk with them about it? Maybe that depends on age. But, you know, where do they begin if they want to make some big changes in their child's uh, nutritional habits? I think beginning with mindset is really the crucial piece. And to make sure that everyone in the family or that's, you know, within the household is on board. Because when you decide the changes you want to make, you want to be sure that everyone is willing and able to go along with that. Because if you have a mixed message within the home, or even within, you know, school, that this person's going to take pity on me and feed me, you know, my sugar addiction type foods, (laughs) they'll hold out for that. And that can mean more of that power struggle rather than just the simple physiology. So to me, you know, getting your mindset right, getting everyone on board, and then laying out your plan, deciding this is what we're going to start, this is how we're going to start, so that you can start once and go with it rather than dive in for a couple days and then give up because, you know, we have a tantrum or something like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, And there's a few different methods. 
that I have used with clients and I talk about within my book. And the first is applied behavioral analysis. And if somebody is already using an ABA program and that's working with their kids successfully, that can be applied to food and that can be a way to bring new things in. The second option I use is backing into it and just saying, here's an important food that we really want to bring in and let's find a way to get that in, whether it be offering it, sneaking it, let's, let's work on, you know, one step at a time. And then the other option is to just go cold turkey and say, you know, we're going to follow this particular dietary protocol. This day it starts, all we're offering is this, and we're willing to go through the fights until you eat. Mm. (laughs) And that one takes a lot of courage, (laughs) (laughs) a lot of support, you know, and I've done that with parents most often, because that's where they would need my one on one support, because that can be tough. And it's a really, really intense week. But when it's a few months down the road and you're, you know, people will write me and say, my kid's just eating broccoli and they're going to sleep easily at night. And I can't believe I I never thought they would eat these things. And now they're doing so happily or they're asking for more. So it's kind of that ripping the bandaid off, but it's really intense at first. And most people will do a combination. You might, you know, back into a couple things and you might do some ABA type um, agreements with your kid. And then you might choose a day, you know, when you've worked some things in where you're like, all right, now we're going cold turkey. We're not having the goldfish crackers anymore after this day. Because sometimes you notice, oh, well, then when my kid has that, that's really when we have a tantrum. That's really the day I cannot get them to settle down and sleep. So then it can become less and less worth it to keep that food in even some of the time. Mm -hmm. And so you want to find an alternative. And To your question about talking with the kids, that really does depend on the age, the developmental level. Working with older kids, you've got to have their buy-in, especially if they're going to be doing things outside of your supervision. Right. (laughs) And to me, with, with, you know, middle school, teenage kind of kids, we have to figure out their motivation. And a lot of times, you know, some of our kids can be motivated by they get into the science of the food and what are the food additives and what are the things that don't work for my body. And you can go down that little science experiment road, but with other kids, they're more motivated by acne, motivated by mood swings, social anxieties. And so when you can help them internalize how food is affecting those things for them, then that can be a real motivator in the long run. Yeah, that makes total sense. And I'm just curious do parents need to do the same thing? Like, is this the, you know, I know the whole family has to be on board, but does that mean if we're cutting out all gluten, then the whole family's cutting out all gluten? I think it's best to cut it out at home, at least, you know, if you're having lunch at work and you have something else and that works for you, then that's fine. But I think it's best to keep things really on the same page at home. So there isn't that competition or feeling left out or why do I have to have this special food when everyone else gets to have, you know, dessert and I don't get to that can create a lot of unhappiness and kind of sibling rivalry. So I think being having everyone on board at home is is important. And for many of us, we see our own food addictions and compulsions and our own up and down energy and our own reliance on processed food. So if it's something that you recognize in yourself that you would benefit from, then it's a great opportunity to to change your own diet and your own health as well. And since I've worked with the GAPS diet, which is all homemade, all whole foods, 
I will usually have people have, you know, typically mom start the diet in advance of putting the kids on it so that she can go through her own grumpy period of like, <laughs> now I don't get to eat cake anymore. And you know, I'm so angry that I all I want is nothing that's in this house, that kind of thing. <laughs> we all go through that little phase, and kind of come back out of that and feel better and have more clear energy, you know, more clear mind before mm-hmm. putting the kids on a new plan. Because when you're all in that grumpy state together, it can feel really ugly. I bet. <laughs> so going through that yourself, getting your own, you know, good attitude back can be useful before putting your kids through that. And then you'll also be able to be more resilient because you know the benefits that wait on the other side. We'll be right back after this quick break. Hey there, it's Debbie. I love making this show and sharing conversations about how to support our awesome neurodivergent kids. I've seen how even one little insight from an interview can spark a big shift in daily life. But I know that raising complex kids can be messy and lonely. And just when we think we figured it out, something comes up that boots us right back to feeling overwhelmed and stuck. That's why I've poured everything into creating a way for parents like us navigating complex parenting journeys to join together and chart a path that feels positive, hopeful, and doable. It's the brand new Differently Wired Club experience. In the club, you'll get personal support from me and other seasoned parent coaches, six live calls every month where you can connect and get your personal questions answered, the opportunity to learn directly from authors and experts like I have on this show, monthly themes for getting specific and tactical, an exclusive private podcast feed, and the best, most generous community of parents. Seriously, these folks show up for themselves and each other, and that right there is really everything. Because it's a daily reminder that we're not alone. Our kids aren't broken, and we have totally got this. The recently rebooted Differently Wired Club is on a brand new platform with its very own iOS and Android app. It is such a great space. However you learn, whatever your style, no matter the ages, genders, and neurodivergent profile of your children, the Differently Wired Club can help you cultivate the positive shifts you're hoping for. Join us today by going to tiltparenting.com slash club. That's tiltparenting.com slash club. I hope to see you on the inside. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast, What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're aiming more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. That's such a smart idea, starting at first and... Uh, I know. Yeah, that it's a, it's a lot. And moms are really, <laughs> you know, great at putting their kids first. <laughs> yeah, and not doing these kinds of things for ourselves. So I think it's yeah, I encourage I encourage mom and women to, you know, put themselves first a little bit on this and to, to gain your experience. And especially if you're doing something that is requiring and more cooking skills or a different way of eating than you're used to, you're going to be a lot more forgiving as you're picking up those skills than your kids would be. So just doing it for yourself a little bit can help you 
gain confidence in that part as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's great. So towards the end of your book, one of your chapters is my child won't dot dot dot. And I love that chapter because (laughs) you basically take my child won't drink water, my child won't eat veggies, you know, all these things that I'm sure every parent is, you know, at least some of them are going to apply to them. Like, what do I do about this? Can you tell us a little bit about that chapter and how you figured all of that out? Yeah, it was really with my client work and just brainstorming with people and and seeing what worked for them. Because with the GAPS diet, we include, you know, bone broth. And if kids won't drink bone broth, how can we get that into their their diet every day? So we got to cook all our meats in it. We got to put it in a smoothie. We can, you know, drizzle, reheat our veggies in it. Like <laughs> whatever your kid latches onto, we're going to run with that and find a way to get these other foods in. And so it was just kind of the mishmash of everything that I've seen come up and the common foods amongst healing diets, because that's been my focus and, you know, several different suggestions of, of how we can bring those things in just to troubleshoot and make it a little bit easier and, and get you guys thinking about, you know, what is another option? There has to be a way that we can do this. And that's part of that mindset thing too, versus the, you know, so many of us are like, my kid will never, but if we open our mind to how could I get this in? How could I sneak this into their food? Mm -hmm. That's, that's a different question for our brain to work on. And that can get the juices kind of flowing in our mind about some new idea as well. Yeah. Well, I, I just appreciated how practical it was. You know, this, this is definitely a book that if people are looking to make changes, you're telling them exactly how to do it, and how to how to just tackle these challenges that may seem overwhelming and undoable. So I when I got to that chapter, I was like, Oh, this is just so great to have it all spelled out for people. Thanks. Yeah, I am a practical person by nature. Yeah, <laughs> and very much a step by step person. Yeah, it's awesome. So If parents are listening to this, and they're feeling super determined and inspired, what, you know, do you have maybe one or two pieces of advice, you talked about the importance of mindset, but what could they do like today, you know, as they're listening to this podcast, and they're like, okay, I'm ready to get started. What's the first or second thing that they should do? Where do they start? I think choosing a food or a food group that you feel like your kids really missing out on and you really want to bring in. And finding a way to to bring that in, just, you know, choosing one thing and kind of backing into it, trying something new. And it surprised me. I've heard so many from so many parents who've read the book and say, you know, I just tried a couple of things tonight and the kids were actually open to it. So especially when you've kind of given up and it's been maybe many months or years since you've tried something new they can surprise you that they may be open to the novelty of something all of a sudden. So that's why I always say people, you know, can start if you want your kids to eat veggies, can you sneak something in a smoothie? Can you grind it up and put it in a hamburger patty? You know, what's a creative way you could use that just to try it tonight? Mm -hmm. That's great. Yeah, one of the things that we found worked in terms of just introducing more foods and and thinking about food differently was just watching some documentaries together. Like that sugar film was one that we really liked. I don't know if you've seen that. It was an Australian filmmaker and it was a little bit like super size me, but he, he went on a diet where for 30 or 60 days, he was eating kind of hidden sugars, the amount that the average Australian was consuming daily. And I have not seen that. It's so good. And he was someone who did not eat sugar at all prior to that. And so just watching Mm -hmm. how his body changed 
made a big impression <laughs> on Asher. And it's been really interesting to see him take more ownership and, and make better choices over the food that he's eaten. So for the older kids too, exposing them to some of the science, as you said, and then also some of the great material that's out there that could really make an impression on them. Yeah, that's a great example. And another thing is, is getting your kids involved in food in other ways. You know, will they go to a farm with you and pick something? Can you grow a garden? Can they pick out a veggie at the grocery store and help you learn to prep or, you know, help you prep it and learn that? Because kids are much more okay with trying something new when they have that personal connection to it in some way. Yeah, absolutely. And you talk in your book about, you know, different ages, how they can be involved. And certainly, you know, if they are kids who enjoy being part of the food prep process or making dinners, that it is an excellent way to motivate them to try new things. So, okay, I would like to know, where can listeners find you? Where can they learn more about your book from mac and cheese to veggies, please? And yeah, just tell us the best way for listeners to engage with you. Yeah, so the book is available on Amazon. Um, it's a Kindle, it's a hardback, it's a paperback, whichever way you want it, it's available there. And then my website is bodywisdomnutrition.com. And I have a tab for parents that talks about the book. And I also blog about picky eating, parenting issues, and just an overall non-toxic lifestyle, since that's another piece that that I came to in my work with kids on the spectrum was how do we reduce the toxic burden that's coming into our household? And so I, I kind of blog about all those issues about this, this lifestyle there. Fantastic. Well, listeners, I will include links to all of Jennifer's resources, her blog, her book, and I will put those on the show notes page. So definitely check out Jennifer's book and the work that she's doing on her website. Jennifer, uh, thank you so much for this conversation. I'm so curious to hear feedback from people because, again, I think this is something so many parents in our community are dealing with. So thanks for the practical insights and for the work that you put out there. Thank you. Thanks so much. You've been listening to the Tilt Parenting Podcast. For the show notes for this episode, including links to Jennifer's book, From Mac and Cheese to Veggies, Please, and all the other resources we discussed, visit tiltparenting.com slash session 114. If you like what we're doing at the Tilt Parenting Podcast and you'd like to support us, there are a few easy and meaningful ways you can do this. One is to join my Patreon campaign, just like listeners Bree Overly and Alexandra LaRose did. Thank you, Bree and Alexandra. Patreon is an online platform that allows people to make a small monthly contribution to support the work of an artist or a musician, or in my case, a podcaster. It's super easy to sign up and even a small donation helps. If you'd like to support the show, visit patreon.com slash tilt parenting. That's patreon.com slash tilt parenting, or you can find a link on the tilt parenting website on the podcast page. The other way you can help is to head over to iTunes and leave a rating or a review or both if you haven't done so already. There are a lot of parenting podcasts out there and ratings and reviews help keep the podcast highly visible, which in turn makes it a lot easier for me to send out those emails and get the big guests to agree to come on the show. So thank you so much. And thanks again for listening. For more information on Tilt Parenting, visit www.tiltparenting.com. Well, hey there, Busy Mama. 
Are you looking for ways to make your life easier, your home less chaotic, and at the same time, add more joy to your life? My name is Deanna Yates, and I'm the host of Wanna Be Clutter Free, a podcast all about letting go of the stuff we don't need in our lives so that we can focus on what truly matters. Don't worry, I'm not going to tell you to throw it all away or make you feel guilty about keeping something you love, no matter how many other people don't quite understand it. But I will give you practical and more importantly, actionable advice so that you can make progress right away. And you won't just hear it from me. There are amazing guests too. It's like having your bestie in your pocket, telling you it's okay to let go of the things that are not serving you and your family in a totally non-judgmental way. So join me over on the podcast where we can work on progress over perfection for those of us that want to be clutter-free.